This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera, joined by my co-host, Mark Mosey. Mark, uh, boy, I'm... I'm exhausted. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm just so I don't even know where to begin this week. But I suppose we should start with like I mean, let's just get to the big story. Um, Yerry Mina scored a gorgeous goal last night for Colombia, and I woke up to that this morning and had this renewed sense of optimism and hope in humanity. Um, there's just nothing like it, and I. I don't think we talk about Yerry Mina enough on this this podcast, Mark. Uh, what do you think? Uh, well, I know we joke, but that is clearly not the big story because Everton releasing a black watch away kit was was clearly <laughs> the most important thing um, that's happened in Everton's recent history, I would say, never mind in this week. But yeah, Yerry Mina, um, outrageous goal-scoring record for them, isn't it? It's, it's something like... Like one in, th- it's like more than one in three or something for a center half. <laughs> seven in twenty five or twenty three or something. Yeah, I think it's like seven in twenty. I thought it was seven in twenty three or something, but yeah. it's like one out of every three ish or a little less than that. But well, I mean, yeah, I can think of countless Everton strikers in recent times that have had nowhere near a strike rate of seven in twenty three. Um, yeah, I think. We got rid of one today in Theo Walcott. He's obviously one of the, one of the players who is going to go at the end of their contract. But yeah, in terms of, I mean, what is a contract nowadays, Rob? And what is the modern no. one? Because quite frankly, we've seen one thrown entirely out the window this week um, in Carlo Ancelotti leaving. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, we tried to do this podcast last night before the entire of the Northwest internet supply went off. Um, so I'm back with a vengeance today. And with, with that, with the time I've had to think about what we were going to chat about last night, I think going into that pod last night, 
I was thinking, is is this this is a pretty pinnacle show, and this is a pretty pinnacle time for for Everton fans in in losing someone like Carlo Ancelotti. Do you mm-hmm. massively for it, or do you just let your emotive side just take over and and hurl the expletives at a once great manager and someone who will never speak of again? Uh, yeah. Oh man, I don't know. Time comes anger. I find it's just I feel I feel cheated by the whole story that we were sold. Uh, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people feel. I'm, I'm certainly not someone who I, th- I found it more unsettling than sad when when all of this came about. Because I think the thing that's always been at the back of my mind is that as much as it's been great having Ancelotti here in terms of the profile and the name and the vision that was sold in terms of winning trophies, just now being easier by proxy. The, the thing that's always bugged me about him being at Everton, and I, I get that this is all very easy to say now that he's left, but that it was not a natural fit for a director of football policy. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that is being picked up on, both in terms of Carlo Ancelotti's tenure here and in terms of where we go from now and how influential someone like Marcel Brands is on that. But mm-hmm. long term, I don't know about you, Rob, but now that you look at it objectively, Carlo Ancelotti plus Marcel Brands was never really going to get the best out of our director of football who is on the board and and ultimately has been given that title of being more important to this football club than than most other individuals. Um, potentially, this is the time to to regenerate and, and, and press the reboot button and find someone who will very much fit into a system as opposed to going out and getting the best individual. And I'm not necessarily saying yeah. we go and yeah. go and find the best lapdog for Marcel Brands to to be the face of his decisions, but right. there has to be a little bit more of an affinity between those two people, surely. Well, the, the you know, they put on a good public face about how well they got along and everything, and they probably did. I mean, they probably, you know, I mean, they're both kind of stylish men. Uh, of a certain age, uh, <laughs> probably like a like a, a nice uh, a nice cocktail, uh, and uh, say so like those then. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd love shit. I'd still hang out with the two of them. I'm sure it'd be a fun a fun dinner uh, um, as long as we want to talk about everything. Um, follow on Instagram. Never speak to again. Well, I unfollowed Carlo immediately, um, and I just because there's. I mean, where do, where do we begin? So let me, let me start with the original kind of train of thought that you had there too, about what happens now, because what, what I want to get into is there's a lot of, I mean, if it's a new manager change, it's a, it's a rehash discussion about what Marcel brand's role is and what the director of football is. And I want to get into that because I, I do think that people try to make it very black and white and it's not black and white. And I don't know that it should be black and white. And so I want to talk about that. But in terms of the manager, when we started the pod yesterday, I, 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 I kind of had this thought and I'm, I'm still feeling it that we, it's weird because the manager is clearly right. An important critical role for a football club. I mean, like that's the most obvious thing I've ever said, but we have made the manager into into something akin to finding your soulmate and 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 what i mean by that is 
we treat the manager position as if there's only one person that could possibly be the right one and that that one person is going to magically fix everything on their own uh, or their presence will be the missing piece that just fixes everything and makes Everton great again. And I, I, I think that that represents if I'm, you know, not to be hard on anyone, but the more I've been through this, I mean, we've had a lot of practice the last few years. Um, the more I've realized that, that that's a bit of a, a naive point of view in terms of what, what a man, like what the manager either should be or could be, or, or who's fit to be the manager. Like there's, as you would expect, Mark, and I know you, you and I are, are enjoy the sport that is Everton Twitter, but we, We've seen so much. There, there have been all the the hot sports opinions out right now about everything from Marcel should have the power to just do his own thing to we've got to finally get the right guy in as if we haven't tried. Because you know you were saying it yesterday, Mark, and I'm with you. There isn't a manager that we have other than Allardyce. There's not enough manager we've appointed in the last several years that I wasn't pretty fully on board with. Um, I think I, I looked at them and understood what the club was trying to do, even though everyone's out there saying the club doesn't even know what it wants. I'm like, yeah, because sometimes you have to try different things until you get the right way. You know, Everton tried the experienced hand, the old, you know, the super uber accomplished hand in Carlo Ancelotti. They tried Kuman, uh, who represented at the time what I thought was both a safe and yet still pretty ambitious choice, uh, given his kind of historical pedigree and background. Uh, Martinez represented represented such a breath of fresh air compared to the kind of cold, dour pragmatism of Moyes, right? And then he couldn't keep his sides fit. <laughs> and then you have, um, you have Marco Silva, which to me, for all the people clamoring for, let's think outside the box, let's get a young... You know, we I joked yesterday, Mark, a young, hungry manager. God dang, you know, everyone's so fucking hungry over there. It's amazing. <laughs> um, like Mar- Marco Silva was that guy, and yeah. Marco Silva had all of the boxes checked in terms of he was a bit of a risk, which you're gonna that's gonna be the case with any manager Everton hires that's young, especially. But there, you know, he had former players that spoke so highly of him and how how prepared they felt playing for him, uh, how engaged they were with him. Um, he was, there were underlying metrics in the performances that, of his squads before that suggested, okay, he is on a trajectory to now get with a club with more talent than he's ever had and be great. Like my, my point is without going down the, the sad rogues gallery of former Everton managers is just to say that, Anyone who thinks they've got a monopoly on on the wisdom for what constitutes a, the, the 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 perfect manager for Everton, I think, fundamentally misunderstands the the impact of the manager from the standpoint that the manager is one very important piece, but it is still only one piece. Marcel Brands is part of this. Farhad Mashiri is part of this. The board is part of this. Um, the overall infrastructure at the club that fails to consistently develop the resources it already has and therefore tries to solve those failings by going out and spending more money, that's part of the problem. Like there are all of these things. And I will tell you, when it comes to a manager, like 
there are a ton of names out there right now. And while everyone has spent a lot of time saying, I'm not really excited about any of them, who could you get excited by that's realistic? And and by the way, I don't need an exciting manager, a competent manager that has better players at his disposal. I'll bet on that guy to probably be okay. Like I don't, this idea that Everton need this magical Svengali wizard type guy to come in and Jedi mind trick Everton into being a successful side again. Like that's, it's not that it, it is, it is, you know, all these great managers that everyone points to, they're, they're, they're great. I'm sure. But they also have frankly better squads to play with and better sides and, and Everton have to find a way to increase their talent, but also to develop the talent they've already got. And I've said that before. So Having said all of that, my my, and we'll get into the to what role Marcel Brands should be playing. I mean, the rep, I, I saw a report this morning, and and I know Phil Kirkbride has answered this question a few times. Um, by all accounts, Marcel Brands is leading the search to find the new manager. Yeah, that does not seem to be enough for some people, Mark. I'm curious about your thought, like on what Marcel Brands' ultimate kind of remit should be here, because. If it's true, and it does seem to be true that he is leading the search um, in con- collaboration with others at the club. I mean, that sounds about right to me. Um, I, I I don't know. Like, I, I was I tweeted about this this morning. I, I find that that whenever we go through this inevitable cycle of managerial change while Marcel Brands has been here, it always brings up the same questions about well, what's his role? Why don't we understand his role? Why don't we understand what he does with player recruitment? And as I think everyone is very frustrated by what they don't know, but they aren't asking the, I think the most important follow-up questions to that, which is why don't you know? Marcel Brands certainly could at any time he wishes to. Uh, I don't think anyone is stopping him. He could at any time do an interview, do a press conference, do anything to, to say, all right, just wanted to hold this press conference. Carlo Ancelotti has left. We're now in the search for a manager. Now, I don't I don't really subscribe to the idea that they need to update us on the website about the managerial search as if any of that would be, you know, totally accurate. But what I what I do think though is that people who are frustrated by a lack of clarity in regards to like what Marcel Brands does and what he can't what he can and can't do, I think is what people really want to know. Mm-hmm. Marcel Brands has to take some responsibility for that. Uh, at any time, he could tell anyone he wants to in the media or what have you exactly what his role is, what he, you know, what decisions he does make or doesn't make. Like this kind of weird, blurry gray area seems to suit him fine. People t- talk about Marcel Brands like he's some prisoner. Marcel Brands not only took the job, and you could argue he took the job and was misled, and 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 you know Mar- Mashiri got him into this, and and then what could he do? Well, he just signed a what was it a three year extension to his contract? He's on the board. Uh, he clearly is okay with whatever role slash restrictions he has in this in in this position. So. I just don't – I think it's so weird how we automatically go to – whenever this manager thing happens, we go to these two this, – this camp of we've got to find the magical, you know, messiah manager 
and Marcel Brands has to be freed from the uh, tyranny of Farhad Mashiri, or else he, or else, how is anything ever going to get done at this club? And and I think that the problem is is that we all insert our own narratives into unknown space, meaning that the lack of clarity from Everton, which they seem willing to allow to happen, but the lack of clarity from Everton essentially creates these dark that you know spaces uh, or gaps of knowledge that we then fill up with our angst and our frustration and our conspiracy theories and what have you and so i i i think that that's that's a big part of this issue so so mark getting getting back to you know where you were going i mean when it comes to anything like picking a manager understanding marcel brands and his role in this i think that I think that we have to either accept that we're never going to know everything and just trust that if trust that, you know, at some point they they will get this right. But that the manager alone is not going to be the end all be all of what's going to solve Everton. No, but that that, that is basically Marcel Brand's remit. He, he, he is in charge of all of the football of a football club. And, and that that's I, I don't think it's an unfair question to ask of Marcel Brands in that is the whole being so integral and being in particular on the board is that is that healthy is, yeah has, has, has there been enough done in the role that he was brought in to do to suggest that he is someone who should be pioneering the leading of this football club for years mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong when, when it was announced and he was on the board I mean from a from a fan point of view, that is overwhelmingly positive, purely from the aspect of this guy is going to be here for a long time. Uh, and I think when when all of the questions were being asked of, you know, does he extend his contract in the summer and how long does he do it for, etc., he's he's kind of already quashed all of those stories by initially being on the board in the first place. I would have right. the the problem now is. As you mentioned, Rob, in terms of his role, not only in this individual case, but it has to be one that continues going forward as well. Um, the, the the main area that will always be highlighted with any director of football, and I'm sure it's not his only role, but it is in player recruitment. Um, and for for as long as you have the situation that we had with Carlo Ancelotti, which is the, this is my signing, this is yours, kind of make them work on the football pitch. It, it 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 totally negates the whole setup that that we're trying to put in place here. Okay, so Mark, I want to I want to press you on that point because yeah. you bring up something that I think is really really key here. Do we fuel the discussion of this is a Marcel player, this is a Carlo player? Well, because the club would ha- would argue, and again, I'm not saying I believe it, but I also think that sometimes these things can be more nuanced than we, you know, allow for. Like the club argues, and I've read this several times, that when, you know, a director of football plus a manager, um, they do collaborate on decisions and that the idea that one player is kind of, quote, all one person or another is a simplistic way of looking at it. I do think they both have buy-in. And I certainly think that clearly Carl Ancelotti is going to influence a James Rodriguez or an Allen coming. But Decore, God, the club has been after Decore since before Brands got here. And then Brands still continue to push for him. So, like, I I don't know that – 
like that, that's the, that's the thing is you're right. Like he, I do feel I I'm more enthused about give me your manager who wants to come in and really will just coach the team in front of him. Like if you want to call it a head coach, whatever you want to call it, I'm fine with that. Let Marcel do it. But I think that the fact that we don't understand the role of Marcel and what he does or doesn't do in regards to picking the players, that's a Marcel thing. That's an Everton thing. They have decided to not to be, make that an ambiguous thing. And it frustrates all of us. But that's where I want to ask you a question, Mark, is and this was I referenced this in a tweet to uh, one of the many threads I've I've seen uh, the last few days, which is Marcel is the director of football. He should pick the coach. He should pick the players. He should blah, 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 all these things. Right. My question to you, because you just asked the question, is it kind of healthy for him to be on the board or maybe to have this outside? You know, is this outsized power? Is this more? giving him a broader scope than he needs. I guess my question is, is do you think he should have unilateral power to do these things and make these decisions? Because I would argue that a director of football manages the infrastructure of the play, you know, the football club in terms of the youth and the player setup and the senior level and has a hand in negotiations and picking player, you know, picking, you know, players, I think Marcel has had a hand in almost all of those things over the years. So I don't really think there's this idea that he's been completely cast out of things. I just don't really buy that. Mm. But what I would say is that I can look at a set of responsibilities and say, okay, the director of football should clearly just day to day be doing these things because the owner's not interested in in developing youth players. The owner's not interested in like, you know, the the accountancy issues of the the payroll and stuff like that. But when it comes to hiring a manager, I would argue, guys, that there is not that that this mythical idea that a lot of people have that there are directors of football out there that just act in a unilateral fashion and don't have to get clearance from an owner or from other staff at a club to make a decision as big as the manager. Like, I just don't think that's a real thing, guys. Like, I think that he is going to lead the search. But ultimately, when you're talking about the manager, Yes, the Farhad Mashiri owns the club. He's going to have a say in it. And the idea that he shouldn't have a say in it is kind of odd to me because it doesn't work that way in any other club in the world, as far as I know. It doesn't work that way. I, I mean, depending on how the ownership structure is, I understand it can be different when you've got like presidents at like Real Madrid or whatever that weird kingdom of Spanish football clubs sets up. But my my point generally is, is that it's never this this idea that he should be given this like godlike ability to make decisions without input from others, including the owner. Like that's just not realistic. What you want is Marcel Brands to be the guy who is clearly leading these efforts, clearly guiding these efforts, clearly having a big voice. He's on the board. He does have a big voice. But I think that if you're looking for some sort of purity in regards to, well, he must be the only one making these decisions. I, I don't know that, that that's, the best model anyway. And I certainly don't think it's realistic given, given the implications of how big of a, you know, a a decision hiring a manager would be, for instance. Yeah. As you say, absolutely not unilateral, but he needs to be 
heavily influential in terms of those decisions. And totally agree. To, to go back to the original point that we made about the board, and I, I'm not saying strike him off it and get him get him in a smaller office at Finch Farm, but <laughs> what you time time for the cubicle, Marcel. <laughs> what you reference in terms of getting things signed off by by higher management, we we've kind of narrowed that gap between Marcel Brands and someone like Farhad Mashiri by having having him on the board in the first place. I mean. I accept that every decision will have to be run through every single echelon of the football club from manager to owner. But you you do very much amalgamate director of football and owner kind of into one when you sit them both on the stage at the AGM and say, there's your board. And it, 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 it does, it does slightly blur the lines of a, of a typical pyramid structure of, of a football club in terms of hierarchy uh, Mark, are, are directors of football, the, the, and, and this is something I don't know, are, are directors of football where they have that model, do they typically sit on a board? Like, did did uh, did Marcel sit on the board um, at PSV and other places? I, I, I just don't even know. I, I have never, someone will definitely correct us on this, but I, to my mind, cannot think of another example of this ever. Like does Daniel Lee does Daniel Levy sit on his board at, at but, Spurs and even that I'm not totally sure see, of his exact position because they're looking at hiring a director of football but he'll still be influential so what does that mean you know I I, I don't think I understand is Levy chairman that um, yeah he's chairman yeah and see these titles yeah they 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 they, they, they have these kind of sparkling lights around them and but they only kind of have a, they only mean what they mean at that particular club like a chairman at one place or a director of football at one place doesn't necessarily have the same responsibilities or or powers that that they do at one club versus another absolutely yeah because i mean as a par you're looking at levy being for 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 exactly that reason in terms of his title being on a par with someone like a ken wright or a machiri um however i regardless of what anyone will say about him and, and how tight with the pair strings daniel levy has been in the past i would certainly feel a little bit more comfortable about him having more say in terms of a footballing point of view than I would Farhad Mashiri ringing up Jim White on Sky Sports and asking who he should sign. That That is a spine-tingling thought to think that Mashiri would have that level of influence. And as you say, it's totally different for every other football club. The, the model that most Premier League teams are now falling into um, and still very much trying to find their feet with, and I think... Everton are probably the most shining example of the experimental phase of having a director of football because despite the fact that we, by all accounts, have got a very good one, I still think the fact that we are having this discussion means we are still figuring out how to utilise the man. Yeah. The the vision that we've been sold here is from Monchi at, at Sevilla um, early oh, yeah. a few years ago, who obviously they, they were very successful in particular in Europe. And I think from the outside looking in, we all have this vision that it doesn't actually matter who's on the touchline in terms of your manager. But Monchi is this all-be, all-seeing, overpowering dictator of football for Sevilla, and he will pick the players. He very much designed the the structure about how that football team would look and how it would mm. play. 
Um, and it was overwhelmingly successful. And I think obviously Everton were- Unai Emery doesn't get credit for- <laughs> Absolutely his, not. No, his mastery of winning all these Europa Leagues. Yeah, that, that's the problem of being a manager <laughs> like that, in that you just get cast aside for in favor of the structure. But I mean, that yeah. if, you, if you are able to achieve that sort of setup, it is clearly overwhelmingly more healthy than having a good manager even because you, you protect that dynasty for years to come, even when that- particular man is gone um it's it's something that sounds favorable if someone asked me who do you want to have most of the say in any football decisions as as much as i would fall short of crowning marcel brands i i do think that he has to be pretty pioneering in pretty much everything about the club and it's, it's hard to know as you say it's hard to know where his remit starts and ends um do we need clarity on that i i would probably fall to the side of saying no um i've i've heard so much audio and so much rhetoric from this football club in recent times that i'm actually at the point now where i don't want to hear it i I just (laughs) because would you believe it if you heard it anyway (laughs) yeah well and and i know that that you kind of you, you entrust the club to do as you imagine in your head that it is doing in that in that sort of mindset. But I'm, I'm yeah. happy not to know what Marcel Brands' exact role is. I'm happy never to hear him speak ever because I'd, I'd rather him be more busy with his time being proactive and doing his job. And I, I don't. it doesn't mean that I haven't got this inner level of angst to know exactly what is going on, but right. that intrigue is probably what drives paranoia in terms of not quite knowing... Yeah. what is going on and that you know every, everyone craves clarity especially at a time whereby quite frankly with every manager that comes in the the role that Marcel Brands plays might potentially shift depending on who that man is um, yeah. right in terms of player recruitment James Rodriguez may well be someone who very much fits the remit of a Marcel Brands player I know he he is himself evolving from league to league and the fact that the Premier League and in particular Everton probably have got a little bit more spending power and a bit more of an attraction to players of teams around the world quite frankly but Carlo Ancelotti opens doors uh, and that, that's where that's where the blurring of lines between I know the two players in particular are Hammers and Alan. I, I for my money I don't imagine a world where Marcel Brands goes and pays whatever we did for Alan and says you're going to be my my central defensive midfielder and I think that's where that that only starts to look a bit silly when you get to this point where mm-hmm. the main focus that we assume in terms of bringing those sorts of players in leaves the club and we are now at that this stage of reset and we 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 said this last night when we were originally recording Robin I we we have spoken on this podcast in recent weeks about how the club have consistently banged on the door of breaking into the top six or four or wherever it may be. Mm-hmm. And with each managerial appointment, you quite rightly said that we've been relatively satisfied. I know that there's probably a, a few more murmurs about Marco Silva than anyone else, but yeah. to, a, to a man with Ancelotti and Kuman and Martinez, we, we all thought that the club was making those correct decisions. And yeah. most fans now... I am very much one of these have been so consistently disappointed by how those for for one reason or another have failed that I'm I'm starting to put less and less importance on who the manager is because I just Same. think I can be Same. 
I can be saddened to another point. It's 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 almost like the situation that we had with the goalkeeper this season, where we said, "Well, we've gone out and we've tried to do the absolute best. We've spent a fortune on the up and coming talent, but within twenty five games of this season in particular." We were craving mediocrity and buying into a mentality of a goalkeeper as opposed to the individual attributes that Jordan Pickford in particular had. And I appreciate that this is on a, a far wider and, and much more vast scale, but it, I, I want it to be the case whereby the manager is less important. And you, you mentioned the phrase head coach. That, that is absolutely something that, that Everton need now. And I think that that, that model is still as I mentioned, something that most Premier League clubs are a little bit scared of because it, 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 it's very much unknown. Uh, we, we've had, we've had a, an era of Alex Ferguson to an extent David Moyes, in particular Arsene Wenger, of having these oligarchs, for want of a better word, who run the entire club. And it's quite frankly not like that anymore. Um, yeah. For, Many reasons, but one being that football clubs are just enormous institutions, even compared to what they were 20 years ago. But I think we are probably at that stage where we need to think about the the style of manager is more important than the individual. Um, people, the, the fact that there are at this point now... When you say the style, do you mean the... The, the way the manager approaches relationships? Do you mean the style of how he communicates? Do you mean the style of how he plays? Is it a combination of all those things? It's, it's, it's probably a little bit of a combination of all of them. However, I think that probably the most important thing is how he sees himself fitting into the club. Uh, and this is before he even talks about tactics or individual players. It's does he know his particular role? And that, that might sound really patronising to a new manager coming in, but we almost need someone who is a little bit more submissive than a Carlo Ancelotti or a Ronald Koeman. And that, yeah. that's not patting any new manager on the head. And don't get me wrong, that that's not the selling point that I would use in any interview to try and attract someone. But that it, it develops that understanding of the role of Marcel Brands, doesn't it? And I, I know that, that, that that's a very it's very difficult to find someone who's going to come in winners trophies but also not have much of an influence so you 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 can't have all of these things but Mm -hmm. i i I do think that what i've tried to focus on since what are we tuesday morning when all of this started breaking was how do we use this as a positive opportunity to restructure how we're going to look at the next six or seven years because right I don't think at the time of appointing Carlo Ancelotti, any of us thought that he was going to be the guy who took us into the new stadium, for example, or who was here to develop lads who are in the under-18s now. He he kind of annoyingly sold us that dream. He, he, he used all of these words, and this is my club. Yeah. And family. He used the word family a whole lot. We're a family yeah. club, and I... I I, I I don't need to be part of a mega club anymore. It's impersonal. I want to be part of something that's more special. I mean, it's co- they will these guys will say whatever feels right at the time, but yet they will drop those convictions the second they feel like there's a better opportunity for them. And so, I, I'm not trying to be cynical when I about that stuff, but <laughs> we were sold something, and we as what's so funny about us as a fan base is that. We always think we're the the shrewdest, most cynical, most 
unwilling to believe sort of group. Hope is what kills us and blah, blah, blah. And yet these, some of these managers, but it's particularly Carlo boy, he really sucked this in. I mean, there's, there's, yeah. there's gotta be hundreds of, of cats and dogs on Merseyside named Carlo that, that are not, that, that are just now, that just now seem like, you know, regrettable mistakes or whatever, but it's, that's the, so that's my point is like, I don't want a manager to come in and, and just, you know, everyone talks about selling a vision or whatever. I'm like, just, I'm tired of the talk. Yeah. Just give me a head coach who says, all right, these are the players I've got. Great. Okay. I'm going to make, I'm going to make the best of it that I can. Now, ironically, we were sold the bill of goods. We were sold with Carlo was kind of twofold. A, his main feature was he was Carlo Ancelotti and he was going to come up, come to Finch Farm every day and be Carlo Ancelotti. And that alone, that fact alone was going to just elevate his players. And, and look, despite our, you know, our, our 12th and 10th place, place finishes, you can absolutely argue that certain players were improved under Carlo, but I, I'm beginning to wonder how much of that is down to Carlo because the more you learn about how this sort of laissez-faire approach to basically letting his son do the the tactical dirty work and him just kind of being like, eh, just, you know, I'm Carlo. My job is to be Carlo. Your job is to get this shit solved. And so yeah. I, I, the bill of goods we were sold with Carlo is that, hey, he is not an acolyte to a particular type of system uh, that is narrowly defined. But what he can do is look at the players he's got and get the best out of them and play the formation or play the tactics that will, you know, get the best out of this group. Anyone who looks now, granted, we, we all acknowledge that there are quality gaps in that squad, but can you honestly look at that squad injuries and all, can you look at that squad and say, Carlo Ancelotti got the best he could out of that group? Absolutely not. I see people argue this all the time. I'm not saying that they were, that they were, you know, title contenders or anything like that, but I'm sorry. Um, what's the point of paying a manager, you know, who's won champions leagues, 11 million pounds per season. If the trajectory goes from your best performance, literally being match match day one and, you know, being second after boxing day and finishing 10, like that's, that's damning. I don't know how else to put it. You can blame the players if you want, but ultimately the manager is not just responsible for formations and tactics. He is responsible for also inspiring a little bit and doing these things. Now, again, manager's not magical. He has to have things to work with. And But to your point, I'm with you, man. Like, I'm not – everyone who's offended by the idea of, like, Nuno Espirito Santo or, you know – even David Moy, I mean, David Moy is I object to mainly just because I just don't think it's healthy to go backwards because oh, yeah. it almost never works. But the Moyes type, I don't have a problem with that guy anymore. I just want a team, you know, honestly, the 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 most attractive thing about Nuno uh, and Moyes, uh, if if I'm being honest, is that they, for whatever flaws they have, their their squads are fit. Their squads are always, you know, yeah. like I don't mean fit in terms of like they never get injured, but I mean – we've complained all the time about how they just look slow and sluggish out there. I don't get the impression. I don't know why we haven't solved this problem as a club to keep our players, you know, in, in better fitness, but you know, like that plus you give me a squad with more speed, like what we ought to be signing this summer beyond just positions is injecting more pace into this squad. You have more pace. Suddenly a manager suddenly has all these different options, whether it's formations, playing more counterattacking, 
whatever you want to call it, they have more options. And until we can get that balance right, the manager, yes, is important, but the manager is not going to solve this all on his own. Because and, and the last thing I'll say on that, too, is we talk constantly about having a Frankenstein squad full of players from all these different managers. Well, guess what, guys? That problem has just been exacerbated even further, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. So let's just get off the table right now that you can clear the deck. The only way you clear the deck is by getting relegated. That is the way that you build a squad from the very, very ground up and have this very like Bielsa like lead system that you can come into the league with because you've basically birthed these players into your squad from the age of 20 on or whatever. That's not Everton. Everton can't do that because you just can't get out from under every single contract you want to. We've learned that lesson the hard way over the last few years. So the question will again be, what can we do with the good players we have here? And make no mistake, guys, I know as bad as this all feels right now, we have some good players. We also have some really shit players. <laughs> what we need to do is have a manager that it has the power to come in and say, all right, I've got these good players. Sign me some faster, more skilled players. Get me a right back and a right winger. And then then let's not play. Let's not start Gilfie Sigurdsson every game. Let's not continue to preserve and codify the the outsized role of players who've consistently been part of the problem into our side <laughs> you know that's that's where things have to change for me just so halfway through speaking then you said faster and more skillful and i instantly realized that yannick Bolassi is now a free agent um so if, <laughs> if you want to make the call on yourself i'll allow you to crack on <laughs> um jeez oh, yeah you mentioned about the I haven't really thought about this and I think I've just kind of naively forgotten that people like Hammers and Alan are probably never going to want to play for Everton ever again, but we'll see how that goes. But in, in terms Maybe Richarlison too, if you believe some of the reports as well. Well, yeah, I mean, this has probably exacerbated the issue, as you rightly say, but I think that his quotes, I, I can't directly take us back to 12 months ago, but I'm pretty confident that Richarlison had kind of sounded this out as potentially the summer that he, he moved on. Um, the Ancelotti leaving probably brings that on a bit. Richarlison's... But his poor performance this season doesn't help his case. It doesn't help his cause more than anything else. Like, no. we, we like if I'm Everton, that's a good question then, Mark. Like, you know, you can say, oh, certain players want to follow Ancelotti out the door, but... Like, Hamas can go. I mean, Hamas is probably going to go. I don't think we're ever going to see him again. Oh, Alan still has two years left on his deal. I don't know that we're in a position, even though he was underwhelming and injury prone, I don't think we're in a position to necessarily get rid of, no. you know, a halfway decent quality midfielder, right, in, in the center of the park. Um, Richarlison, though, like – Right now, it's a buyer's market because the post-COVID economy has depressed some of these, you know, some of the spending that's going to happen in all likelihood. And Richarlison, frankly, now having said that, no matter how bad the economy is, if the player, if the player is a superstar, some side will pay huge money for him. Richarlison, I love him, but he did not play like a superstar this season. So why would Everton, at his age? given that he's about to go to Copa America and probably score three or four goals for Brazil, why would they sell him low? Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. And now he could agitate to get away, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Everton have to play a little hardball because to me what I want is – I've always accepted Richarlison was going to go at some point, mm -hmm. but I want him to go after he's had a great season 
where we, you know, where we've accomplished something and then we can use that money, uh, that, that hefty amount of money to replace them properly. I just don't know that you can do that. Now, having said that, if you hire the right guy, maybe that that helps. I wonder sometimes, does Richarlison feel like the jaded son that has had his father figures constantly stripped from him? Like we were openly asking earlier this season, Mark, did, did Richarlison and Carlo even get along? I, I think that's what the weird thing is. And then cryptically, we see that tweet the other day right before yeah. all this happens. He seemed to know. And I bet Hamas knew too. In fact, I bet Hamas knew before the, the game against City that something was up because I – I think that that's the sort of move you make when you know that you can get away with it because the, the 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 hall monitor is gone. You know what I mean? Like there's something there's so much more to this story that we don't know. But anyway, I'm I'm musing here. <laughs> yeah, the I mean everything you said about the time and to celebrate Charleston as as much as we're going to get battered for this. By the way, I hope you understand this that we we are actively looking to shift Richarlison on. I I am not. I. <laughs> Well, and let me put it this way too. Like, okay, let me let me let me rephrase this part of it, Mark. And I want to. I, I do want your thoughts on this. Like, okay, <laughs> counterpoint on Richarlison is that I like again. My position is I don't want him to go. I don't want him to. I don't want to sell low. Mm-hmm. And I still think that the talent and the youth are so on his side that you know you get you get you get some you get a better midfielder. You know, get another couple of pieces in uh you know on the wings and in the midfield he's going to be a striker that continues to score goals and look Everton have proven time and time again that they can't press a magic button and suddenly just replace a striker okay I mean the the idea that we could just give up uh Richarlison I mean you better have a plan because Calvert-Lewin is a really good finisher a good striker he still has a ways to go in some way, you know, in some ways, but I, I love him as my starter. That's fine. Yeah. But we saw the limits of overly relying on Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin this season. So now you're going to take Richarlison out of that. I'm, I'm, I, I'm loath to think what, what our finishing issues might be if Calvert-Lewin is our only proven finisher. If you're, and by the way, if you're going to sell Richarlison, then I want to open up the discussion about Moise Keane again or something. Like I, I just, oh. but, but again, it's not about, no, 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 no. It's not about Moise Keane in particular, but it is about addressing just the pure logistical issue that you can't just willy nilly get rid of guys who score goals and just think it will magically solve itself because Calvert Lewin is your favorite guy on Instagram. Like he, this is, this is, I love Calvert Lewin, but he can't do it all on his own. And we have to, and Shane Tosin, obviously, I mean, you know, he's not walking through that door. You don't, I mean, is Ellis Sims ready? Like what's your solution if you get rid of Richarlison, I suppose is my question. I, I just don't know what it would be. You sign, I reckon we could sign four number 10s and share the goals out. <laughs> yeah, if everyone just scores 10 – a wise man said, if, if everyone just scores 10 goals, we'll be fine. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm not going to say it, but I know my thoughts on Richarlison, but I'm going to move on before my – No, 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 no. T- tell me your thoughts on Richarlison. I, I'm, look, I, I'm open to – like, if I can understand a compelling case for selling him. If you can get – if you could say to me, yeah. we're going to get – Granted, you're not going to get the top of the market value for him right now because of the circumstances, because of his season. But if you told me I could still get 65 for him, mm, that's still a little lower than I want. But let's say, let's just say 65. I could get 65 for him and I could replace, you know, I could use that money and replace, you know, 
sign some some decent guy. Like, but again, that that's yeah. that just everyone who thinks that well, I'll just sell this one piece and buy three more players. Like, there's a there's an inside joke in one of the group chats I'm in that like. Uh, you know, there's this, there's, there's a friend of ours, uh, named, uh, well, I'll, I'll just call him Joey. Uh, and Joey, if he's hearing this, will know who I'm talking about. It's, it's him, Joey, but he, he, his bit is that he tries to antagonize me and I just won't take the bait, but it's like, you know, Yeri Mina is really our most sellable player. We should sell him and buy like three more Ben Godfrey's because <laughs> I'm like, Oh, okay. Like if, like I love Yerry Mina, but if I could literally sell Yerry Mina and buy three more Ben Godfrey's, don't you think I would do it? Like I, you know, I love Yerry, but like, but that's the point is that there's all this magical thinking out there about what you're going to get, get in. And so I think having said all that, Mark, I want your opinion on Richarlison because we did broach the subject a few weeks ago of maybe this thing needs a bigger shakeup than a lot of people have imagined. And maybe that's, there's something about the setup that isn't working. So maybe it's about addition by subtraction. So you give me your argument on Richarlison. I want to hear it. Uh, there's a fair argument to say that you should sell your best players at the top of their value when, whenever that moment hits. And you, you mentioned about, you know, doing selling a play when he is at his top of his value and whenever they've achieved something. And I, I get that we didn't achieve anything last year, but, Pragmatically looking back at it, you're probably looking at last summer being the point to to be a little bit more proactive in terms of selling someone like Richarlison if that was your thought plan. If our, if our game plan yeah. years ago was to buy Richarlison for 50, get a couple of half-decent seasons and then sell him for, what was it last summer, 80, 90? Well, I think we technically only paid like 30, yeah. only 35-ish, 38 or whatever, but you know. If we are good at one thing in the transfer market, it's putting add-ons on for trophy successes in the future <laughs> that we all know will never happen. <laughs> for five or 10 million a pop. Um, I'll, I'll fall short. Like This is not footy manager. I'm, I'm not going on the squad list and right-clicking Richarlison and banging him on the transfer list because we clearly know it doesn't work like this, but that there has to be a point whereby, if uh, do you know what, there may be there may be no interest in this lad, and, and most Evertonians could tell you the reasons why after after this season. But if there was genuine concrete interest in Richarlison for the type of money that we're all thinking about in terms of being a lot of money for a team like Everton, even if we have got far up Mishiri, I I don't think this squad is at the point whereby. We can ignore those conversations. I, yeah. If if we can, if we can, and do you know what? Everton's finances going into this summer transfer window totally dictates how the club would feel about any of this. But sure. if we are at the point whereby we need that seventy million to go and make a hundred million transfer budget and try and do something new, and as you as you said that we've been speaking about for a few weeks, totally start again in terms of direction. Richarlison's a great player. He's young. He could potentially go on to better things. Sure. He he doesn't, and it's probably for the fact that it hasn't happened so far. I, I don't watch him and think you're the player to take us where we want to be in three or four years. And I know I'm hurling a lot of pressure on his shoulders when, when you say something like that, but the there's elements to his mentality and his character that I know I'm speaking like I know him personally here but there is something about watching him play that you just think that doesn't click at Everton 
And it's just because you've seen this time and time again, whereby we do pin so much hope on a player like him. But I think the fact that it probably sways me into having this conversation with him, as opposed to someone like a Calvert-Lewin, for example, who all of the questions will will definitely follow at some point during this summer. Mm-hmm. In my mind, it's a lot harder to go out and sign a number nine in Dominic Calvert-Lewin's mould than it is to go and buy... There seems to be a plethora of attacking wingers around Europe right now, and as much as Everton would not be able to attract a lot of them, it, it seems as though the questions that you ask in terms of where do we go from here if someone like Richarlison was to leave, I would say objectively now that he would probably a little bit, he'd be a lot more easy to replace than someone like a Calvert-Lewin. And I, hmm. I, I don't want this to spiral into, into, you know, let's pick the one player we'd all get rid of. Because clearly, in an ideal world, we all want these players to be be part of a successful future. But there is... The word that we use under David Moyes time and time again, in particular towards the end of his final season, pretty much just before the point where we all knew he was leaving, was that Everton was a stagnant football club and it all felt a little bit stale and a little bit boring and it needed this enormous shake-up. And at that time, David Moyes leaving, and in particular that first season under Roberto Martinez, it, it felt as though we'd found that that new life and, and maybe Paolo Ancelotti leaving on his own is enough for that. And I, I don't want that to... It makes it sound like it's been absolutely terrible under Ancelotti. It hasn't. But mm. in, in the same breath, if this was any other man and this scenario had happened, I mean, granted, he wouldn't be going to Real Madrid, but right. we, we wouldn't be sitting around talking about how much of an enormous, shocking travesty this is for Everton. Because... yeah. Regardless of what name we bring in with this squad or a squad without Richarlison, I I don't think any of the names mentioned so far finish less than 10th next season. And don't you dare drag that up in 12 months' time when we finish 17th. <laughs> well, but Mark, so you bring up an interesting point. Like I, I think that if you're trying to do the pie chart of blame, which is my my favorite Everton themed pie, the pie chart of blame. Um, like <laughs> on the one hand, Everton can look at their fans and say, "Hey, look, it's Real Madrid. He, he, wh- what? How can you blame us for him making yeah. the decision to just opt out of his, you know, all his plotted, you know." commitments to us and you know whatever he had it probably had apparently he had it in his contract that there were a few clubs he could still leave for because at the end of the day carlo is a shrewd mercenary just like they all are uh to a degree liverpool but, on that list. but oh what was that but your liverpool was on that list yeah oh god <laughs> don't even but I, I think, though, that to on the one hand, you can say Everton's not really at fault for that. But I also don't want to let them off the hook fully either, just because I don't blame Everton for losing Carlo Ancelotti. But I do think Everton Everton as a club, whether you're talking about Brands, Mashiri, the players, the, the decisions that were made, all those things factor into 10th and 12th place the last two yeah. seasons, right? So, so. Everton have some issues and and all this does is just I think people were I think as time goes by people will realize given how poor the football was and where we were finishing that they're less hurt about Carlo leaving and they're more hurt about the whole 
here we go again feeling. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's just the why have we gone from being the one club that has the same manager for a decade plus yeah. to this in the last five years? I, it's a fair question. And what's what's funny is that some of it has been bad luck. Some of it has been injuries at the worst possible times. Some of it has been managers who were too stubborn. Like Mar- that was Mar- to me, that was Martinez's biggest flaw. He was really stubborn. Kuman was far too disengaged. Yeah. Um, Marco Silva arguably was too engaged with his players. Like a lot of people said that, you know, every player had these specific set of instructions and everything to do to the point where they were out there not creating any chances or doing anything because it looked like they were just thinking, constantly thinking out on the yeah. pitch. Well, then you bring in, you, you know, then you bring in Carlo who's like, hey, just, you know, I'm Carlo and just let my magic permeate your your being and you will, you'll just be the best. And you know what? A lot of people wrote plenty of, uh, you know, put plenty of ink out there about how well, look at Calvert-Lewin. Carlo has clearly gotten the most out of Calvert-Lewin. I mean, I tend to think Car- that Calvert-Lewin is owed the lion's share of yeah. uh, credit for his own success. But when it comes to getting back to the whole Charleston thing, it's like I, I am very – I can get a little touchy about some of the stuff said because I do want to make clear that I don't – like the – the the whole bit where we judge players based on the 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 frowny face the looks on their face yeah, yeah. the fact that they're south american and that's how they are like that's the shit that's the kind of shit that i i can't deal with okay and i and I'm, you're not doing that i know um i have i think the main question i ask about Richarlison is really twofold one was last season an aberration because the previous two seasons were quite good I mean, they were, and by the way, we're talking about a player who not only scored goals, but covered the most ground in the Premier League defensively. His effort was always there. Something was up this season that just didn't feel right. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if just the pushing players to the limit with this fixture list, or I think that Richarlison is someone whose emotions fuel him when he's good, but then hold him back when he's not doing well. Like, you know, if you, if you play, basketball or golf or anything like that you you get this sense sometimes that you're never going to make a shot ever again uh and then that starts to weigh on you <laughs> and and i wonder when Richarlison started to score not, started to have issues scoring when he you know it started with spurs believe it or not remember like he had that goal he could have scored early and then it just mm-hmm. felt like that kept happening and it went from, oh, well, he's going to score any day now to, man, he's not really scoring. And I think he allowed it to – some players can't overcome that sometimes. Now, I think going to play for Brazil this summer and getting a break away from Everton, I could see him coming back and doing doing fine. So that's part of the question is, is last season an aberration or is it indicative of a player who you can't, to your point, Mark, really rely upon to be consistent enough because of the the nature of how he, you know, he, he is built, uh, you know, you know, all, all across the board. The second question, again, gets back to what is the plan if you sell Richarlison? Now, I don't know that I agree with you completely on the idea that he's more easily replaced. Like, I don't even know, like, I don't think either of them are really replaceable. Basically, regardless of position, goal scorers are not repla- very easily replaceable yeah. sometimes. But I would are, I would agree with you in that if you've got a guy like Calvert-Lewin who 
his biggest strength is finishing in the box. He's not right now where Calvert-Lewin struggles is he's not great at running onto the ball into the box on a, on a fast, you know, on a counter attack and, and finishing. He's going to get, I think he can get better at that, but that's not his, his, his elite skill is obviously in the air and his elite skill is right there in the box and being in the right positions at the right time. He sees the game really well. I love all that. So your point, you sell Richarlison and you invest in more in, in a better passing has to be part of this, right? Because we are the worst passing side in the league sometimes. And B play guys who can be out on the wing who are purely wingers. Like when they talk about Neto coming potentially, you know, from Wolves, I think, okay, I can I can get on board with saying, all right, we're gonna now put someone on the right hand side, uh, or and then maybe add something on the left and 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 then have a right back as well. Suddenly you've got more pace and more playmaking and guys who are trying to get the ball in the box more. That should benefit Calvert Lewin. So if you're saying that get you know selling Richarlison gives you an opportunity to rethink the way that Everton operate and from an attacking standpoint, I can I can buy into that. I really can. I, I just I just want to understand what the what the the plan is to some degree, but it's not like it matters if I understand the plan, Mark, because apparently Everton are going to go ahead with their plans, regardless of my opinions or your opinions or whatever. Uh, but I, I do I do think there is a real opportunity for you can't again you can't start you know completely clear the decks and start from scratch, but what you can do is say. The player. So think about it, Everton. Who are the players that we, that are most influential in terms of how much they their position uh, affects the way we play in terms of being on the ball or making you know doing all these things? Well, I think it's pretty easy. It's Richarlison, yeah. it's Calvert Lewin, mm-hmm. and it's Gilfie Sigurdsson because in Hamas when he plays, but it's Gilfie because you know. He's just good enough to start for a mediocre Premier League team. And guess what we've been for the entire time he's been here? We've been a mediocre Premier League team. Yeah. As long as you allow – like, again, this, the argument is not that Guilty Sigurdsson can't put up numbers. The argument is that he was most successful at clubs that were in the bottom half of the table for a reason. When, when he, If he is your most prominent player, given how slow he is, given that he is now – you know, he's beginning to age, beginning, you know, given the fact that he – doesn't score set pieces anymore. He he doesn't create from open play anything like that. He does create from set pieces like he gets assists on corners and free kicks and fine. But if that's the guy that you're giving that kind of outsized role to in your squad, you're going to kind of always be the same sort of plotting slow squad. We've got to have a version of a and again not maybe not a Hamas, but we've got to have something that's in between those two guys. We need we need some we need we need more pace. We need guys who can pass. We need guys who are hungry for the ball. But until those kind of, I think those are the three pieces that you can change or move around. Like if, if Sigurdsson, I, I hope with Carlo gone, this talk of him getting this big contract extension maybe goes, goes by the wayside. But if he's here, I don't have a problem with him being in the squad, but he shouldn't be starting every week. If Richarlison goes, that is your opportunity to kind of reconfigure this whole side and maybe reimagine something new. But without more pace, you can, you guys, we can come up with a million formations. If we're still this slow in midfield, it won't matter. <laughs> it just won't. Yeah. And as long as we're that slow, we're going to get beat and we're going to have trouble generating uh, pressure and generating chances. And that's just the bottom line. You need direction in terms of what formation you play before you even ask the question about what you do with Richarlison's departure, don't you really? Because that that's ultimately been the million dollar question about the man himself. 
Um, it's four two three one, Mark. Uh, every manager that signs for Everton has to promise they're going to only play four two three one. That has to be a, a nuanced adaptation of each one. <laughs> I will not accept that they are all the same failings. I know. So we're, we're not going to see any movement in or out in terms of transfers because the whole manager situation needs settling very quickly. First and foremost, the thing that probably gives us a little bit grace in that situation is that. We have got Copper America and the Euros in the same year. Mm. And quite frankly, not a lot is going to get done from a business point of view until all of those competitions are over. So that, that yeah. potentially, as well as leaving on what was what, the 2nd of June, they are the favorable timings that actually work for Everton in this situation. But mm. yeah. Are you going to watch any uh, Copa America, by the way, Mark? Yeah, because it's it's free late at night. It's free to wear over here, but as you know, Rob, we often record pods way into the next day. So I am more yeah. happy to stay up and, and watch Copper America. Um yeah. Rich Allison, I, I, I absolutely would love him to to have a great tournament and come back and replicate that for Everton and no yeah. one who listens or, or increases value. That's fine with yeah, me too. Primarily, yeah. But no one who listens to what I've said about him should think that I want anything different than that. Um sure. Do do I now instinctively think that he is going to have a great season with a new manager on the back of a Copper America in which he's probably going to be quite pivotal? I've I've got my doubts, and 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 that's probably why I'm sat here in 2021 thinking, why did we not have this conversation in 2020? And and that's very no, we didn't because we, we we had just hired Carlo Ancelotti, and the idea was you keep your best players for a manager like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the point I would probably hang all of this on is that is is Richarlison a luxury for Everton? I'm not necessarily starting to feel that way. I'm not necessarily he's saying he's a luxury player in exactly right. That's what you'd say about someone like James Rodriguez who. Right. Probably isn't going to put the shift in that Richarlison does. Probably isn't going to be integral in terms of, if nothing else, number of games every season. And probably, yeah. Bad <laughs> reliability from that point of view. But is is his style of player in terms of being that kind of? He's a second goal scorer as far as we look at it at the moment. Yeah. Can Everton afford to have a seventy million pound second goal scorer in the team? I, I'd, I'd probably say yeah. not. Um, that that's that's Richarlison's gauntlet being laid down in front of him in terms of can you go and and prove that you are one of the best Premier League players in the present moment? And, and quite frankly, for that, mm. it's like that that what he has to be. Uh, and he's just massively far off that at the moment. But um, yeah. just to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned, I know that we mentioned about Ancelotti's approach. I thought I found, actually found that quite interesting to read. Um, I, where was it? It was in the Athletic, the article today. Um, Paddy, that was a great piece. But was that Paddy and Greg or, or um, Paddy? I can't remember. For 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 one of a better summary, Paddy Boyland basically calls Carlo Ancelotti a fraud. Um, yeah, that sounds like Patty. <laughs> that's that's what I'm willing to hang that entire arc. <laughs> no, it was great, and he obviously he had uh, the, both Paddy and Greg highlighted the the impact of someone like um, Davide Ancelotti, um, mm-hmm. and highlighting the fact that Carlo's probably not as hands on as stereotypically I think most Everton fans like to think that their managers are. Um, it's yeah. the reason why Moyes was so favourable. It's in particular the reason why we were so open arms to Marco Silva, in my mind. Um, yeah. Obviously, coming off the back of Ronald Koeman meant that we were all going to be that way. But 
we all love the idea of Marco Silva literally grabbing players at Finch Farm and moving them around the pitch into positions that he thought they should be in because that sort of hands-on mentality is what we had under Moyes, what we've always craved since, and probably at this moment what we would all desire in terms of having someone who coaches the football players to be better at football because Mm -hmm. everything needs to be solved with turnover and recruitment and consistent change, which I think Everton, you mentioned it, Rob, in terms of everyone dreading this summer. We were dreading it already because we were already labelling it as one of those big summers that Everton had to have. Yeah, because we finished 10th. Lost our manager days later. It, of course, makes that task seem monumental as opposed to just massive. But the yeah. I, I don't really want to wrap this podcast up without talking about Carlo Ancelotti himself in terms of what yeah, he's kind of done to, to this football team. Um, I, I would say at this point now that it is the healthiest mentality you could possibly have about football and probably about life barring your friends and family is that the the more fickle you can be about human beings, the happier you will be forever. And that is truer in no greater context than in this sport because when you say fickle, do you mean do you mean not investing too heavily your your faith too heavily in someone? Yes, yes. So yeah. in terms of in terms of losing that attachment. And that is probably why I'm able to sit here and talk to you about possibly selling Richarlison. Because quite now, quite frankly now, you, you feel so dejected and disappointed by someone like Ancelotti doing this, someone like Rooney doing this. You know, there's countless examples of people fucking over their football team. And, and Everton have been very much pivotal to that. And I have no doubt that it will continue in the future and probably this summer. But that that lack of attachment is probably what breeds success. I mean, the, the first team that comes to mind, very much so in the last week, is Chelsea. They don't give a shit who plays for them, who manages them, to an extent, who owns them. He doesn't. He's not even allowed to come and watch games in this country. Yeah. It doesn't. They're going to fight. They'll fire Tuchel if he. They, they'll sack him in a heartbeat next season if he yeah. if he doesn't. You know, repeat what he like. Like they're going to be favorites probably to compete with City to win the title next year. And if they finish third or something, I could see him getting sacked. I mean, you're right. That must be a nice feeling to just care only about winning and not have to worry about any kind of. Bullshit, romantic sentimentality. Who's who's the mug in that situation? Is it is it lovely Everton who are going to put a little bit of an arm around the manager and take them through? And I'm not necessarily saying we have to become this sort of ruthless force who fires managers after 12 games when it's not going well. But that there, there has to be that detachment from mm-hmm. the emotive side of how we feel about. Yes, players, but in particular managers as well. And I think I, right. I, I probably feel like that at the moment because with every single name that gets thrown at us, there's nothing really that makes you think, I I need that guy or yeah. he, he'd really benefit us. And that, that's probably why I'm so laid back about who comes in is because Same. I could rattle off countless flaws of all of these candidates. Nuno yep. Canto seems to get an incredible amount of grief online from the the know-it-alls. I, I, I really don't see a problem with some. I don't have a huge problem with Nuno. I don't yeah. get why. Because remember before Marco, I think people were really, people loved him and, and, you know, yeah. he's had two really good seasons and then he didn't have a striker 
you know, they sold Jota and they and and Raul got injured and suddenly he's not a very good manager. But I'm sort of like, as, we lost Calvert Lewin, where would we be? Because <laughs> it shouldn't be a reason for hiring a manager. And part of me would like to see Everton go out of the Premier League on and a point yeah. totally new and, and to be that I mean that really will be a, a fresh start because you, you're going into very much uncharted territory at that point. But well, Mark, let me ask you a question about that. You you bring that up. I too am enamored with the idea of hiring. You know, to to get outside the box, man. Hire someone from outside the league. I, and I'm not I'm not being facetious. I really I think that there's merit to always bringing in new ideas, etc. Though just because someone did manage in the Premier League doesn't mean they don't have good ideas. I, I just mean that I, I get that I, I argument. My question to you is, given what you just said about how this is already going to be a big pivotal summer in terms of recruitment because we just finished yeah. 10th. And it's a, frankly, a shorter, in a lot of ways, kind of a, a shorter off season, if you will, yeah, yeah. because of the way that the, the Euros and Copa America affect things. So my, so I can see them saying, look, um, if I've got a choice, I want someone who already understands the league in terms of they know which players have been successful here and blah, blah, blah. Like, I get that argument. So my question to you is, can Everton, do Everton have the luxury of appointing a manager with no Premier League experience with so much to do? And we're like a month away from them reporting back to French Farm, by the way. I mean, it's it's insane. You could also argue that this, the, this, the state of change that we're in at the moment that that is the luxury that allows you to go and double down and and make this move at this stage because the expectations are lower and yeah a little bit of that to be honest and you're you're already in that state of flux whereby if if you don't go and make for a team like Everton who have historically appointed from within the league and Nuno would have a resting knowledge of Everton's squad and obviously the league in general that appeals right. to me that it, it really does and I, I like the idea that he would. I, I imagine that all of these Premier League managers have got a a set, obviously, style of play, but also an idea in terms of the personnel that would fit into that. Um, I'm, I'm sure they, they, they've all got wish lists in their mind, but is, is it potentially the opportunity for Everton to double down in this situation and say, we are undergoing a period of change? If we don't go out and get a Ten Hag or whoever, whoever the man outside the Premier League may be, Ten Hag. That's how I'm going to say it every time. It's um, Ten Hag. But if you don't do that now, then when does a club like Everton do that? Uh, yeah. Are we are we forever on this cycle of let's let's let a manager come into this league, have two right. seasons, propel him to the level that Everton sit at, and I don't necessarily mean in terms of finishing high in the league, but the expectation level at this club is is well known, but. We, we've seen we've seen teams do that with I don't I'm, I'm thinking managers like Pochettino for example who are, are ever never going to be the team who takes that first gamble. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that that is absolutely the right thing to do, but I I do. But, but even Pochettino was 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 you know hired from Southampton. I mean it's yeah. it's you know yeah I I know what you're saying. It, I it, it and and tough one. It, it is it is exactly that because. It feels right now from an Everton point of view in that whatever move we make, there's 
occasional positives to it and you can kind of see the reasoning but there is no perfect answer here there is no go out and get cumin go out and get silver because there's no right answer and and that that's why it that's why it's so hard to have any form of foresight about what this club looks like even for the next 12 months is because yeah. you don't even know what it's going to look like for the next 12 days it's it's we're, mm-hmm. we're in that very volatile position which I don't know how you look at it. It's very exciting or very dangerous. Um, yeah. Just to go back to, to Carlo Ancelotti, because I do want to just hammer him as far into the ground as we can here. Um, all of the, you, you mentioned about the question that can be asked about what happens when Real Madrid come in or what happens when one of these contract clause named clubs comes in. Right. I think in terms of ambition, in terms of how he sees not only his career but his life developing and where he wants to be, if Real Madrid is the end goal or there is an end goal beyond Everton, I am fine with that. But I think the for him to come out a few weeks ago and say he, he commented on the on the links to Real Madrid when when Zinedine Zidane was rumored to be leaving, and I haven't got this verbatim in front of me, but pretty much said. Everton is my future. Everton is my club. There is basically no way that I leave at this stage because I am mid-project here, or however he phrased it. Yeah, and I think he. Unless they ask. <laughs> yeah, he he lost a lot of respect in many Evertonians' eyes for going. Yeah, that, I think, and uh, this totally negates the whole fickle element I made before because you have to expect people to fuck you over in this sport, and I do get that, but. Don't comment on it. Just don't speak about Real Madrid. If yeah, just say, you know, do, do at the very least, do generic coach speak thing where you say, you know, right now my I'm focused on Everton, you know, just make it, make it non-committal. But he did seem to go out of his way to passionately say he was staying. And and that was part of the the the, the what sucks because it feels in hindsight, even more emotionally manipulative because what, what he was really saying was I have the luxury to make these sort of flowery statements about Everton because I know that Real Madrid is not coming after me, but if they were, it'd be different, but that's yeah. never going to happen. So I can just, I can say what you want to hear. Yeah. And then, then it, then they come, they come back around and suddenly he's in a position where he just like, it, it, it sounds like he just it, a switch flipped. He's like, Oh, I've got an escape hatch here. Okay. I mean, all the talk about how he wanted a different sort of project. I mean, that's the thing is all the criticisms of, of Ancelotti, or I'm sorry, all the skepticism rather of Ancelotti, which I did think at the time was, was valid, but I was willing to say a manager who's accomplished this much should be given the benefit of the doubt. Mm. But, but the big skepticism was Carlo is a manager who comes into clubs who's Squad talent is already at an elite level, and he gets them to that final hurdle to to win titles. Yeah. Does he really have? Has he proven or shown that he can do something like what Everton requires? And I think now we can look at this and say, absolutely not. He he does not appear that on the evidence that we've seen is not appear like he's he was able to do that at Everton, or he's capable of doing that. And maybe he even acknowledged himself that you know. I, I'm a front runner. Um, and sometimes, and by the way, some of the best managers in the world are front runners. And when I say front runner, I mean, they're guys that need 
to be in ideal circumstances. And when they are, they can be really good. Uh, And there's this idea that everyone in ideal circumstances is good and they're not Uh, certain. It's a lot of pressure that comes with quote, being a manager in ideal circumstances. I think Pep Guardiola is a fantastic manager, but he also has to, to, to handle being in the quote, ideal circumstances of having no excuses about money or resources or anything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I do find it funny, by the way, when people talk about, the kind of romantic magic of, of Pep Guardiola and this football heaven he's created. And I'm like, well, you know, if I had, you know, if I had really seedy oil billions to, to play with, I bet I could create a utopia of football too, uh, to a degree, but whatever. And then he, then of course, by the way, as an aside, isn't it crazy how he started a stronger team in a game that meant nothing against Everton than he did for the Champions League final? Like that's that's where your ego, that's where you become a megalomaniac at a certain point. But anyway, Carlo, so to your point though, Carlo, Carlo bailed after saying pretty passionately that there's no there's no way I'd bail. And that's that is just a further reminder of the business side of this. Um I don't want to, to, to kind of cap off this conversation, Mark, we said this to some degree in this conversation, like, I don't want to, I don't need to be in love with my manager. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to be happy with how well we play. And the we in that, in that sentence could be any combination of players that get Everton to play well. Like as much as I love certain players if there, if we get to success with a different combination of players, that's more important to me than any, like you know, affection I have for a manager who I talk about like he's my he's my dad, which I'm certain I said at at, at a point that I wish Carlo Ancelotti was my dad. I regret that now, um, Dad. If you're listening, which you're not, I love you. Um, we we need to stop deifying these guys and uh, not that we've deified a bunch of managers, but we've, we've put them on a pedestal and that pedestal uh, is one that they easily jump on and off of uh, whenever they feel like it. And so I think Carlo, there may be some personal circumstances behind this. There could be a lot of things, but I think that we have to be upfront with, we have to be honest with ourselves about a, what a manager is and what a manager isn't, what a manager can give us and what they can't do on their own and those sorts of things. But I also think too, that if we're going to say in one sentence, in one breath, that we want uh, we want someone to come in and be given time and be given patience and actually build and develop something, we can't just mean it when we're saying it at the time. We have to mean it when things are a little hard in the first season or in the middle of the second season or whatever, and, and there, there's still some growing pains there. Mm. When you operate in a relegation setup, you can't just try to be as bad as possible to you know start from the ground up again without you – know. now, again, if Everton get relegated, then I think it's a different conversation. But I don't think we're going to get relegated. So the question becomes what, what manager can come in – that will empower that will you know be focused enough on coaching allow Marcel Brands to primarily lead the the effort in in recruitment and and maybe not have i think what carlo did was bring this expectation if you will that well he's here so you can't not bring in certain of his quote players i think that maybe you you get a let i think maybe the 
the the the good idea behind a like you say a manager from not from this league or a manager from this league that is underwhelming to you like Nuno or Moyes or whatever you know. Graham Potter, doesn't he? Do what? Graham Potter has been mentioned as, as Graham Potter. Yeah, and Graham Potter. Oh boy, I know some people really love the idea of Graham Potter. Um, you know, like fine. Um, you can do that if they can just focus on coaching and they're they're not going to have this like trophy case that makes them come into a room and say, I'm going to get my way on these three decisions. Um, I just want to coach who's there to coach and who trusts them, the, the setup at Everton, even though maybe they shouldn't, but they're, they're going to, they're going to have to come in and say, look, I am, I'm taking on the challenge of being the Everton manager, but, or the coach. And that's what I'm going to focus on. I, I, I don't need a manager to have heavy hands in this stuff anymore. I, I think that, that that they need to focus more on developing and coaching. And I don't know that we've had enough of that over the last several years. A little bit of what you've said there in terms of how Everton have kind of taken the man that Carlo Ancelotti is into account in terms of how we've done things for the last couple of years. We've kind of, we've accommodated the personality in terms of how we've gone about everything. Uh, and in particular, player recruitment. That's what pisses me off most about this because we've essentially wasted 18 months of our entire football in existence here because we could have, we could have recorded this podcast two years ago when yeah. <laughs> we were on the back of a manager leaving and there was potentially a little bit of a, a time for, for change and for a different direction. And bringing someone like Carlo Ancelotti in was meant to have a short-term end goal and he, he was the man who was going to make it all a little bit different in terms of pushing on for silverware. And, and we all absolutely bought into that because of the man that he was and the career that he's had. Um, th- this, right. this is quite honestly the biggest failure of his entire career because yeah. you can talk about him escalating to a better job, which he undoubtedly has, but he'll always have that finished 10th with a, with a pretty decent Everton team on his CV. And, he can talk all he wants in his press conference at Real Madrid about how still being in the hunt for Europe on the last day reflects success. See, that was the biggest bullshit for me. What the hell? Well, okay, so by the way, that should tell you everything that you – to kind of cap this off, that should tell you guys what you need to know about a manager mm. because we treated Carlo like he would – both change the expectations and elevate us towards those expectations, right? But what did Carlo do as soon as he got asked about his time at Everton? He basically put it on the club to say, well, the club's expectations are only to get into Europe. And we were were there on the final day. So, hey, I succeeded. That shows you right there that he did not view himself as a transcendent figure. He did not view himself as someone who was going to take the club up to the next step. And it, or if he did, he was willing to basically run away from that expectation the second someone asked him a question about it after he had ducked out of this job, yeah. after he'd failed. Like that to me is the most damning part from a character standpoint of Carlo. That's where my biggest disappointment is, is for him to have the, the fucking balls to say that it was a success because of the modest expectations at Everton. Well, you're part of those expectations. They paid you 11 million pounds per year to to level set something higher in terms of expectations. And so you don't get to just fall back on the kind of previous expectation. Like he literally said, Hey, I was, you know, my first year there, it was about just avoiding relegation as if that was 
a sufficient success on his part. Like, dude, that is such bullshit. That is such like convenient pivoting logic at the, you know, when you want to sound good in a press conference after you've just, you know, cheated on your wife and left her behind. Um, again, I, I'm not, I sound mad, but I'm just like, given how poor we've been the last couple seasons, it's not the worst thing in the world that he leaves. Back to what we talked about. What I'm upset about is that we're just in another position again where we have to find a manager and figure things out. And it just, it, I, I, I either want us to become a side that's fighting relegation uh, and, and actually having something interesting to focus on in a season or competing at the top. But this kind of falling gradually even more into this middling muck, you know, muck of mid-table it's boring as hell, and and I want more. <laughs> the the thing that compounds all of the sort of, you know, the the character things that we're we're thrown at Carlo Ancelotti here is that from a footballing point of view, we, I mean, the the guys on the weekly this week were talking about the main positive of his tenure being the fact that the hoodoo of going to big grounds is is over, and and that that's something that we'll always have, and potentially next season. If we went and did exactly the same thing, we talk about Ancelotti's tenure as being a defining era in terms of progressing this football team. Time will tell, but I, I, I am—I personally would be shocked if we replicated any one of those pivotal victories away at, at the inverted commas bigger sides next year, because we all know the the setting that that took place this year for all of those games. We all knew the the caveat that you had to kind of. Put and the asterisks that you had to place next to a lot of these games, and as much as we don't didn't want to say it at the time and don't want to buy into it, and it may it may well not be the case going forward, but we don't really know how much of a feat they were until we're able to potentially replicate them in the future. Uh, yeah, that's probably what I'd, I'd hold back in terms of affording the man credit at the moment. I think certainly from a footballing point of view. Finishing tenth probably negates all of that for me. I think there's a, there's a little bit more in terms of negatives than there is positives. Sure. Um, and just to pick up on one thing, those home losses are, are the, the the biggest sin for me. But yeah, go ahead. If, you, if give me give me nine home wins against crap every season, as opposed to winning three big away games, I'll I'll get beaten Anfield every single season. I don't care. Uh, I kind of like the Anfield win. That was the highlight of the season. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Offer me forty five points at home and a fifth place finish and I'll bite your hand off. But you know what, Mark, you're speaking to, you're speaking to substance versus flash. You know what I mean? Like you're like, that's, and by the way, that's always the most, and again, these aren't direct quotes from Mashiri, but sometimes his thoughts on the manager thing are characterized as I've got to hire a manager that the fans can be excited about. Yes. Yeah. I don't think the, I think what the, what we've learned in this is that we, and maybe some people haven't learned it, but this is my kind of big final salvo to all of you who are thinking about the manager position. Don't worry about being excited about the manager. Worry about being excited about what Everton can do in terms of performing on the pitch. I don't care how we do it. I, like, you know what's exciting is winning. Winning's exciting. I, I don't – I like – I, I love a, a handsome uh, manager. I love a man a manager who has won a bunch of things. Those are all great. If we can get those things uh, as part of the package, awesome. But if you're focusing on 
the the flash and the PR of hiring a guy that generates that 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 excitement on Twitter for 72 hours before we get to you know the disappointment of the transfer window or whatever who cares? I, I, give me a boring manager. I mean, Grant, for those who are into Graham Potter, uh, you know, I look at him and I, I get I get really bored as soon as I look at his face and his comments about how winning isn't really the most important thing and how people like, you know, what's funny about Graham Potter is that like he's literally finished, I think, like 16th and seven, 15th and 16th or 16th and 17th the last two seasons. And I there I know people who are just like, oh, you can't just judge him on that. I'm like. Well, I can judge him a little bit. I mean, I feel like that's part of the discussion here. But to that point, I think the idea, though, is that whoever you're for, um, you know, make your argument, whatever. But what but if if you think that your guy is a good, good, good hire, it should be because you think he's got ideas or you think that he is someone who can come in and be rock solid, even if unspectacular and get more out of the, the available talent. Yeah. I don't need a name. I don't need, I don't need all these aesthetic flashes that don't mean shit. Ronald Koeman was a name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly Carlo Ancelotti was a much bigger name, but what has that gotten us? And, and I, yeah. so to me, it's like, you don't have to go for the most obscure coach ever. But what you do need to say is we need someone who's sound, even if it isn't inspiring. Uh, and then from there, you know, do better with what you've got. And then suddenly, if we're winning, we'll think that manager is exciting. We'll think that that appointment was inspired. We'll think all those things after the fact. But if you're focused on the the flash before the substance, I think that's that's where we've got to change as a club. I, I just hope Real Madrid get beat every week now. Going forward, <laughs> these people say, "What world are we living in, Mark?" <laughs> Real Madrid, are the two high pro, most high-profile failed Everton managers are managing at Barcelona and Real Madrid, and I don't know. That's the joke. There's no other punchline than that. Sign me up to the Atletico Madrid fan club is all I can say going forward because, yeah, you, you, it's it's just human nature, isn't it? You don't necessarily, I would say, in the in the mo in the most part, you don't really want to see people treat you in a way that in my mind Carlo Ancelotti has done for the last couple of days and then go on to, to bigger and better things. And it's it- Carlo's a snake. Let's just end it there. Carlo's a snake and we let's just let's just all just put him in that little box and, and we'll be happy with it. Uh Carlo is a snake. In fact, why don't we just make that the episode title? I feel like that'll be clickbaity enough, right? Carlo is a snake. We're not and that'll be the episode title. <laughs> um hey last thing Mark before we finish up because I definitely need to 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 yeah, I mean, an hour, hour and a half plus is is just going to drive Matt insane, which is part of the reason I've kept this conversation going. But um, do you? Okay, so of the names that have been floated, yeah. uh, like I, I obviously I know people who are very firmly, and they've made their arguments, and they're not terrible arguments. They are in the they're in the camp of of Graham Potter. They're in the camp. Uh, I've surprisingly quite a few of my friends are in the David bring David Moyes home camp. Uh, others have named, um, Oh gosh, I think there's some French manager that they get in, you know, and then of course, Lucien Favre and, and, you know, occasionally Ralph Rangnick or whatever his name is like, yeah. he's 63 and hasn't coached in a long time. Like whatever. I, you know, I'm not necessarily enamored with all these options, but I guess my question to you is, do you have one that you have at least in your mind begun to settle on and say, 
okay, I could do that and be all right with. I mean, I, I don't expect you to be passionately for any of these managers because, as we've just discussed, that's something we probably need to you know get away from to a degree. But yeah. do you have a preferred candidate at this point? Um, I wouldn't say preferred candidate, but you, when you originally asked, is, is there someone who I've kind of started imagining how this is going to be? Yeah. Nuno Santo is is absolutely that guy. Uh, okay. It's purely because he seems the closest and and the most relevant for that for the position at this time. Yeah, and that that's probably why I've allowed not necessarily my heart but my head to follow down that path because it's almost an acceptance of him taking the role. And I I, I don't want acceptance to sound like I'd be absolutely against it because as as we both said, I, I I see a lot more positives in him than I think most. Everton fans do at the moment, but I think yeah. the important thing that I've done is started ruling people out. Um, David Moyes, Duncan Ferguson, in particular Eddie Howe. Oh, yeah, yeah. These are all names on on the betting shortlist that I just don't want to see, um, and I, I get why they have to be there. But it, it, it's almost as though we have to go down this this 2016 route of just letting everyone who's ever been to Goodison Park apply for the job. And it it, it, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. And as, as much yeah. as there would be, Duncan Ferguson and David Moyes, they're, they're the types of appointments that you make at the exact point that we did with Duncan Ferguson in that, that kind of caretaker tenure that we just want to kind of see out the next few weeks with raw passion and... I, I don't. I don't really see where people are coming from when they say that he'd be the man to come in in this time of in inverted commas crisis that we're in and sort us out. I, I, I don't really see the football club in that sort of state at the moment. We're, we're not talking about a team who've just lost ten games on the bounce and a circle in the drain. And, and quite frankly, that's that's where we've been in the past. This is not the time for that level of emotional impulsive behavior and i think right that's probably what leads you down the route to bringing those names in um eddie how i discard just because he's not a very good football manager um yeah but to, to be honest of of the following 15 names in the bet and that come after those guys that there, there isn't as you rightly say something that makes me think that's the answer because the yeah. As, you, as we've already said, there is no right answer here. But There's no magic bullet. Absolutely. But new, new, or silver bullet or whatever you want to call it. You know, Santo probably is the one that, that there's a relative degree of reliability and stability with going with that guy because we, we know he can do it in this league with a spot mm-hmm. that is relatively par to Everton's. Everton's a little bit better, if anything. He had a thin squad that he navigated to what was it, the Europa League? Was it the semifinals or quarterfinals or something, despite playing? I, You know, and again, I, I've heard all the arguments about how, oh, well, the agents uh, at Wolves, you know, the agent issue at Wolves is how they got those players. All I'm hearing is he didn't make a big fuss about which players he got, and he coached the ones he had, and he got got that got the job done. There's to always, a always a reason why you get certain players. Look at yeah, I'm so tired of those arguments. Like, who cares why you get whatever? Just get you know get good players if you can get something out of them. Yeah. That's fine. Here's my deal with Nuno. Um, it's twofold. One, like I said before, he I don't know that it'll be Nuno. Um, he's kind of the early favorite right now, but I can see the argument for him just because he has shown, barring last season, he's shown that he's got the ability to coach in this league, and and he's coached well in Spain, and he's 
you know, he's, he's on the normal career trajectory. You know, there's always the joke about how if some boring English manager had a cool foreign name that we'd be more into them. Right. Um, Whereas I think with Nuno, if Nuno looked Mm. like Marco Silva and had his record, like, because Marco never was as good in the Premier League as Nuno has been, for instance. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder sometimes if that's part of it. Now, I will tell you that is Rob Vera uh, enamored with the idea of having a a, a, a bald, uh, olive-skinned, bearded manager that looks a little bit like him and all his all of his old uncles? <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I, I can't wait to see it. Like, we've tried everything, but, you know, we have not tried – um, well, Martinez was more bald by the end and now he's fully bald, but you know what I mean? Oh, ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. Like honestly, like people saying, oh, well, Nuno looks like he's just kind of miserable or what? I'm like, I think that's his face. Portuguese people kind of have that face. Like Marco always looked miserable. I just think, you know, Jose looks miserable all the time. I think they all just look miserable most of the time, but that's, I'm not like, I feel like last season to judge any manager, too harshly given the circumstances and especially like Nuno's circumstances were, were primarily that a, he has always had a thin squad to work with at Wolves, but he's gotten a lot out of them. But when you sell Diego Jota and you have Raul Jimenez, you know, get that freak injury and be out, he was playing with, with a hand behind tied behind his back the whole season. And I guess you could argue, well, he should have just found a way. Well, let me tell you, Everton have had healthy strikers for the last few seasons and have not found a way. So I don't really know, like, I, I don't know what you want. I mean, at a certain point, no matter how good the manager is, if they don't have enough good players playing for them, they're going to struggle. So I'm, I, I tend to look at Nuno's body of work and say, yeah, I, I guess he's not coming from uh, Barcelona and he's not coming from just having won the Champions League or fin- been in the semifinals of the Champions League last season or something. But haven't we just shown that 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 making decisions based on stuff like that alone, yeah. like resume is important. The resume is not the end all be all. It's about fit. And Carlo clearly was not a fit, mm. you know, for what we really need. And hopefully now this time we can just say, look, let's get a sound manager in here and work on addressing the problems that we have as a club and see if, and again, without trying to oversimplify, I said it before, Mark, and we've really got to end, my God, this has gone on long. But but we, we have got to, I'm telling you, you get more pace in this side, that'll already go a long way towards solving a lot of the things that we complain about. Like as much as the formation is the problem or we can't counterattack, we can't do those things because we're slow. And when you're slow, you can't really counterattack. You can't get back defensively enough. And then of course you compound that by having a bunch of dudes who never want the ball and don't, you know, aren't very good at passing in the midfield, get those things just marginally better. And I think you're going to see a better product on the field with a boring ass manager. And, and that's, that's, that's probably fine. So, yeah. well, Mark, I've got to cut off conversation here. My Lord, this has been awesome. This has been the long con for uh, this, you know, like long con uh, rest in peace, uh, long con, I guess it just sort of disappeared. Cause you know, I don't like, I couldn't, I couldn't always get Dave uh, and I on the same scheduling page, but um, I loved having this conversation, Mark. I feel like we've, Gotten uh, gotten some of our angst out about Carlo the Snake Ancelotti, dude. By the way, Carlo the Snake Ancelotti is a hell of a wrestler name. Like that, that would be cool. Like if he was a wrestler, 
Carlo, the snake, Ancelotti. Like, I, I think that that totally works. Um, okay. But anyway, um, yeah, guys, look, we're going to be covering you all summer. I'm sure at some point, uh, especially now with the, you know, everything that's going to be happening, uh, the transfer show will be returning in all its glory uh, with myself and Matt. And I know that, Mark, you will be a part of that as well. We'll be rotating people in to, to talk about whatever to do this summer. Clearly, there's going to be some business this summer. Um, I, I think that what will be the most interesting is what high profile players might be targeted from other clubs, you know, or targeted uh, of our players that are targeted by other clubs. Uh, I think that could add some wrinkles into it, but it should be an interesting summer because let's be honest, guys, the summer is the most interesting time of uh, time of the year for Everton every year. So let's just embrace, embrace the madness. And uh, we will uh, see you guys again uh, next week for more kickabout from Mark Mosey. I'm Rob Vera. Take care. Progressive Insurance protects people's cars, homes, and other vehicles. But if you've ever seen our commercials or even just heard our name, you probably already knew that. What you may not know is that we support Humble Design, a nonprofit that furnishes homes for families and veterans emerging from homelessness. Because a little help goes a long way. And a lot of help. Well, you get the idea. Now, if you already knew all of this about Progressive Insurance, we're impressed. We'll have to find something else cool to tell you next time. Find out more about how we're dedicated to our customers and communities at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.